It's time for Legally Speaking, joined by Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Morning, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing great. Always good to be here. It is always good to have you here, and I, pre- I appreciate your perspective on these matters. I know you and I have discussed the repeat offender, what's being uh, called a phenomenon in the past, and I know that you've um, reminded us that there has not actually been a material change to federal statute that preceded what was perceived by many and, and stated by many politicians as being an increase in this phenomenon. So I, I'm sure that you have some thoughts on the news story that's been circulating about the urban mayors complaining about prolific offenders. What's your take on all this? Yeah, I, I certainly do. And this is an area that I had frequent dealings with, right? Mm-hmm. I, in my daily practice, deal with criminal justice cases. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, and so I, I read with interest uh, both the letter uh, signed off on by uh, the mayors of Victoria and Kelowna mm-hmm. on behalf of the BC Urban Mayors Caucus, uh, setting out concerns about uh, prolific offenders and, and then a bunch of uh, um, sort of suggestions and uh, proposed causes of that uh, phenomenon. Um, and uh, it's been interesting. It's obviously get, uh, garnered some uh, attention, right? You had uh, Todd Stone on earlier yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose my take on it would be this. Uh, at the heart of it, there is a legitimate concern here, right? There are, um, uh, there are a relatively small number of people who are responsible for a very high volume of property crime uh, and uh, police conduct. That's absolutely true. Um, and we've uh, experienced that in Victoria, and it's uh, in other parts of the province, uh, you see the same thing. Um, and the profile of the uh, individuals who are these sort of repeat um, offenders uh, are uh, often uh, they are people who are uh, homeless, uh, and with great frequency they are people who are uh, either or both uh, of uh, drug addicted uh, or mentally ill, and yes. often both of those things. Yeah. And so there is a cycle which goes on when you have somebody who's uh, addicted to drugs, mentally ill, and homeless, where they are uh, it, basically their uh, daily activity is trying to feed their unsustainable drug habit, yeah. right? And so what you have are people who are going out, spending all of their waking hours trying to um, shoplift things or steal coins from cars or whatever it might be, um, or engaging in prostitution, sadly, as well, uh, trying to uh, scrape together money to then buy drugs so that they can use them to feed their habit. And round and around they go, right? Um, And sort of on one thing I think we should think about when we consider that cycle, Right, that cycle of somebody who's the drug addict, who's committing property crimes, who's then buying drugs, they wind up being arrested by the police, of course, occasionally for their shoplifting activity or their drug activity or the those other things associated with that, mm. um, and they sort of circulate in and out of the criminal justice system and into jail, and they'll often serve various periods of time in jail and back out they come. And they're still a mentally ill drug addict, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the reality of it. Yeah, exactly. We don't cure their mental illness or their drug addiction by having them in jail for a few months. It just doesn't happen. We just get them right back out, and around and around we go. Um, one of the things which the province has proposed, and it looks like it may get some traction, mm-hmm. um, is to uh, try to uh, both decriminalize possession of small amounts of drugs and in some circumstances provide drugs to these people, 
one of the reasons that that may be advantageous, not only from the perspective of avoiding people overdosing and dying when they use drugs that are um, too strong or not expected or whatever it might be, you, you also need to consider what impact, if that goes ahead, that's going to have on that cycle I just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have people having to spend every waking hour stealing things, breaking into cars, houses, <laughs> and so on to get money to buy drugs, um, the rate of this sort of uh, property crime and other things that are associated with it will plummet, right? The people that are stealing things and breaking into your car or stealing your liquor or whatever from your house are not generally doing it because they are Lex Luthor no. or they are just greedy. Uh, they're generally doing it to get money to buy drugs. Uh, and it's a bit crazy uh, that we have people out having their spend their days committing those kinds of crimes to then come and inject themselves with the drugs they've purchased from somebody in a safe injection site and then go right back out and repeat that cycle. It's crazy. Um, the amount of resources we could save if we uh, didn't have people committing crime to buy drugs to inject themselves with them would be very significant. And so that's something I think we should consider when we sort of get the picture of what's going on here, right? Yeah. Are, are we dealing with people who are just criminally inclined? Probably not in most cases, right? Mm. We're usually dealing with people of that kind of profile. Uh, but with all that being said, it is a real problem, right? Yeah. Some of the uh, things identified in this letter from the mayors, uh, however, um, and referenced by the uh, liberal critic, aren't really the cause of the problem here. They're just kind of misleading. Mm-hmm. The, the underlying problem, like one of the things that the sort of first page of this letter from the mayors focuses on, yes. uh, they suggest that the, one of the problems is uh, Crown Council requiring full disclosure from the police before doing charge approval. Yeah, how does that work? That is not that. That's not, first of all, the cause of this problem. Okay. Um, that, it's, that seems to be a, sort of a, a gripe from the. Looks like the first page of this thing might have been drafted by a police officer. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a, a, an unhappiness that they are required to provide that to Crown. And the way that works is this. Um, when the police do an investigation, they are then required to provide to Crown Council a copy of the evidence that they've collected, along with a report describing what they think happened, so that Crown Council can determine whether a criminal charge would be approved or not. Um, and none of that is new. There was not some change in that process. There wasn't some radical change made by the Attorney General or somebody else in terms of how that's worked. Um, the test for whether the Crown will approve a charge is whether in their judgment is there a substantial likelihood of conviction based on the evidence gathered by the police, and is it in the public interest to proceed? The second part of that test being why not every you know, 13-year-old who steals a chocolate bar gets charged criminally. Sometimes we give the chocolate bar back and the parents ground the child and we move on. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and that hasn't changed in any meaningful way. So it's not as if some roadblock was put up that are preventing things or people are behaving in some uh, irrational or crazy way. Um, but it's not unreasonable that the Crown say, provide us with a copy of the evidence that you've gathered so we can determine whether there's a substantial likelihood this person will be convicted, right? Uh, that's the threshold, and it's a reasonable one. And while I appreciate for some particular police officer who, you know, thinks that they know darn well that somebody's done something, even though they don't have evidence to establish it, it might be frustrating when the Crown says, look, this person just isn't going to be convicted. I appreciate you think they've done something, but unless you've got evidence that 
would demonstrate that they've done it, we're not approving charges, right? And while I appreciate that may be frustrating to the person who just knows in their heart somebody's done something, it's not an unreasonable thing. It wasn't some change, and it's not the core of this problem. Okay. Further, the letter suggests that there's some problem of uh, people being released without bail conditions. That's not so either. Um, to be honest, most of the people in this category, these people who are the ones talked about here, who are these prolific people who are you know, arrested for shoplifting and mischief and drug possession and you know breaching their conditions by having drugs in their possession, that kind of thing. That, hmm. That's who. That's how it is. You wind up with all of these charges, right? Hmm. Most of them are dealt with entirely by the police because the police now actually have authority when they arrest somebody to decide whether they are going to uh, release the person to come to court with conditions that the police think are appropriate mm-hmm. or whether they are going to seek their detention. Hmm. Um, and the police actually have authority in the thing called an undertaking to a peace officer, mm-hmm. where if the police have decided they're going to arrest somebody, like let's say they've arrested somebody for shoplifting. Um, they would, uh, if the police think it's appropriate, they are permitted but not required to release the person to come to court on a future date. And the police can fill out on a form called an undertaking to a peace officer the conditions that they believe would be appropriate to ensure the person is going to show up in court uh, and stay out of difficulty uh, in the interim. And they're determined by the police officer. So there's not some ep- epidemic of people being released without conditions. It's just not so. Uh, but we need to also bear in mind that listing conditions doesn't make those conditions come true, right? Like if you write down on a police undertaking or a court undertaking, um, don't use drugs or don't possess any drugs. Well, that is not going to, that's not going to have the effect uh, of uh, curing the person's drug addiction, right? Mm-hmm. What it'll mean is that then they'll be charged number 149 when they're next found with some cheese from the grocery store of also possessing drugs. That's what that does. Mm. Um, and so there is not some ap- epidemic of uh, a irrational release of people without conditions or uh, Crown not approving charges that could be proven in court. Just those are not, uh, not the case. Um, now, the other thing which is interesting is this. This is something I circled in this letter. Mm-hmm. This letter from the mayor says, The solution is not for municipalities to keep adding safety resources. We have been doing that, which has come at the cost of other essential services, programs, and infrastructure in our communities. Now, that's really interesting, particularly given that this was who signed off on this letter. Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) But we do have, (laughs) there's been an ongoing issue about do we have enough resources for the Victoria Police? Yes. And I think the answer to that is we do not. They have a very high caseload. Yeah. Uh, they have a shortage of police officers. Uh, we have not, it's not that they, we've been adding resources and that has somehow we've not been neglecting bike lanes or something because we've hired so many police. Yeah. It is the opposite. Um, and in particular, in the context of Victoria and Esquimalt, we have in Victoria uh, these things called ACT teams. ACT yes. stands for uh, uh, it's assertive community treatment. Yes. It's designed to deal with exactly these kind of prolific people who are like the mentally ill drug addict who keeps stealing cheese to buy drugs, right? And the idea there would be to have a team of people, police officers, social workers, mental health people, 
aggressively interacting with that person often on a daily basis. Like, hello, I'm here. We want to make sure you're going to your treatment or yeah. whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. I'm here. I'm on you, right? <laughs> Rather than passively waiting around for the person to, you know, the phone call saying, yes, we caught Buster here with another block of cheese outside the the grocery store. Don't wait for that. The idea would be show up and deal with them in an assertive fashion. Police are an important part of that, right? Because yeah. often somebody who's going to be the mentally ill drug addict, you're not just sending in a nurse, right? You better have a police officer there to ensure safety and so on. That's important. One of the recent proposals was to hire two more police officers to be on those ACT teams in yes. Victoria. Esquimalt wouldn't contribute to it, and so they don't appear to be getting hired. Hmm. So it's not, as the letter suggests, that they've been adding safety resources at the cost of other things, and that that's not the problem. There may be different scenarios in other parts of the province, but in Victoria, there is just not a compelling argument to make that they've been adequately resourcing the police department. They haven't. And some of that's been, I think, a function of philosophy, right? Yeah. Um, and that's something I wouldn't mind talking about after the break. All right. It's just sort of the changes that have been made in terms of how we deal with people with mental illness, a drug addiction, and homelessness, how that's evolved over the years, and how that's had an impact on all of this. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers will continue with Legally Speaking, getting Michael's view on this news story that's in circulation right now. BC's Urban Mayor's Caucus writing to the province of British Columbia on the so-called prolific offender issue, which absolutely is an issue. Has it been caused by recent statutory change? No, not that simple, according to Michael Mulligan, who will continue offering his analysis after this. We continue with Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Always interested in hearing his perspective on these issues because Michael serves as criminal defense counsel. This is his stock and trade that he deals with every day of the week. So he, more than anyone else, would know if there had been a change in the system as well as uh, various bail conditions and whatnot. So, Michael, I guess I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So the prolific offender problem is a problem. It, was it noticed during COVID? It's just it's always existed, or did it get worse during COVID? Because the Attorney General said that it seems to have gotten worse during COVID. But again, it's difficult to quantify because I don't know how we would measure data in terms of bail denied or something like that. Like, it's difficult to find metrics. Sure. Um, and I should say, I don't think that the underlying problem here is with bail conditions, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as if the solution to this real problem yeah. uh, is wait for the person to steal cheese and, and then try to put on stricter bail conditions. That's not really the long-term solution to the problem because the underlying issue is not cheese theft or coin theft. The underlying problem is you've got a mentally ill, drug-addicted, homeless person who's committing crime all day long. Yeah. And the answer to that is not a bail condition. More than a bail condition is required if you wish to stop that. Yes. Um, and if you want sort of a, it's a, this might be sort of a subjective thing, but generally, okay. yes, I think there was an increase in this, uh, these uh, challenges okay. uh, and the number of people who are committing these kinds of crimes over that period of time of COVID. Uh, and in part, that's a function of how we uh, addressed some of these issues, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's been a long-term change over the last sort of 50 years or so in terms of how we deal with uh, this kind of, uh, these kinds of individuals. Um, it was up until not that many years ago uh, that uh, it was dealt with, uh, that is to say, people who were in that category of sort of the person who was mentally ill, homeless, uh, and uh, sort of supporting himself by petty theft. 
uh, we actually had a, a legal, there was a criminal offense called vagrancy. Yes. Uh, and uh, that uh, had been in the criminal code for some period of time, a long time. Uh, one of the last versions of this made it an offense for a person, a person would commit vagrancy who supports himself in whole or in part by gaming or crime and has no lawful profession or calling by which to maintain himself. Hmm. So if you don't work, and that's how you support yourself, you're committing a crime. We hmm. arrest you and send you to prison, right? There's no sort of, I spend my days loitering around outside the shelter. You could just be picked up and sent to prison. Yes. Um, and we've moved from that uh, to the far other end of the continuum, I think, going on during the period of time during COVID, yeah. where, we're, where we were inviting people to live in parks, <laughs> right? Yes. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment, right? There was a story this morning on CFAX talking about, um, I think it was uh, the homeless shelter, some 250-some-odd people working there. Yes. Right? They're unionizing, right? We've, got, we've now sort of institutionalized this arrangement whereby we have mentally ill people living on the street providing services in that fashion. That's what we've done. Yeah. We used to have in BC Riverview, which was, it was a mental uh, hospital, psychiatric hospital. And if you were somebody in that category, you would be institutionalized and put there. There'd be no, you know, loafing around on the street stealing for a living. That's how we dealt with it. And yeah. it was viewed as not humane. And we've moved now to this circumstance where, you know, looking at it online the other day, the city of Victoria, we now hand out a, a sheet to people with the instructions on overnight sheltering in parks, telling people that, you know, you can do that, uh, but don't sleep in a graveyard. Uh, and they also have a, a virtually... <laughs> does a it really say that? I guess they it say does. They've actually produced... Some, some oh. staff member was required to sit down and produce, you know, those like don't do logos yep, that are yep. understandable in all languages. Uh, one is like a line through a gravestone, like don't sleep in, in cemeteries. They've also got a... Another great don't do here, which is showing a person holding branches in their hand with a don't do. The description being don't remove tree branches to construct shelters. Yep. Anyways, we, we've moved to that. Um, and so it should come as no surprise uh, that when you don't provide um, uh, proper facilities and treatment for people who are uh, drug addicted and mentally ill, you're going to ha have crimes of social disorder. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we virtually institutionalize that sort of lifestyle, right? It's now no longer a criminal offense to do that. It's supported by hundreds of people. Yes. Um, and so one thing I think, well, the, as I said, I don't think the solution here lies in charge approval without the Crown providing it, without the police providing evidence. That's certainly not the problem, mm -hmm. nor is the problem writing down conditions on bail like don't use drugs. That's not going to do it either. Um, we do need proper resourcing for the police. That's a good idea. Yeah. I, I think the, the act of that assertive community treatment, if you're going to have people living in that way, that's a good idea. We should resource that properly. It's generally effective. Um, one of the other things which has been uh, talked about in some contexts but is missing from this letter mm -hmm. um, is whether we should be having even more assertive treatment uh, for people uh, who are in that position, people yes. who are in and out of jail, constantly committing crimes, suffering from drug addiction and mental illness, whether anything more should be done even than the sort of the assertive community treatment. And I, I mentioned in passing before, there actually we have in BC, we have an act called the Offense Act which governs uh, provincial offenses and how they're prosecuted and so on. And it actually still has in it sections. It starts at section 91 of the Offense Act, 91 and 92 uh -huh. uh, and 93. And those sections deal with um, what was referred to as 
uh, in this language here, chronic alcoholics. So it's focused at people who are chronically drinking. And we actually have provisions here where there can be a a physician can certify the person and take them into treatment, uh, into a treatment facility for chronic alcoholics or a psychiatric unit for observation and treatment. Um, And then there's a provision after 72 hours, you'd have to go before a justice and have a justice or judge uh, decide whether the person could be kept there longer uh, for treatment. And these sections are focused on chronic alcoholics, but perhaps there needs to be some consideration given to whether we should have some similar provisions that would require people to get treatment for some of these issues. Like, yeah. I appreciate that Riverview may be viewed as a, not a humane way to, to deal with anyone who has a mental illness, but if you have somebody who's got these sort of complex problems who are in and out and around and around the justice system, the underlying cause is not the cheese theft and it's not going to be sorted out by bail conditions. No. And perhaps there should be some consideration given to having secure treatment, right, for people. And you've got to first of all have the facilities, right? Maybe some of the hundreds of people that are providing these services to people while they're living on the street could be repurposed those resources to deal with um, the provision of treatment and resources in a treatment facility, right? Uh, And there are some people, well, you would hope that they would decide on their own that that lifestyle is eventually going to lead to their death, probably, right? You see the high rate of death from opioid addictions. Yes. Not everyone in that position is going to be able to rationally come to that conclusion. And so one of the other approaches here might be to, you've got to, first of all, have the treatment facility. There's no point saying, well, we might require somebody to do treatment when there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. Uh, So you've got to, first of all, have a facility, and we shouldn't view it as a penal thing. We should view it as, look, we're trying to get you some help with your mental health and your drug addiction so that you don't die, uh, and in the interim, probably help uh, bring some order to chaos out there. Yes. Um, And the government contemplated this with young people, but I'm not sure that the problem is necessarily just young people. No. So perhaps we should consider having and resourcing a institutionalized treatment facility, and you need to have spaces. Yes. But if you have those, uh, then perhaps there should should be some consideration given to some version of like what we have here for people who were chronic alcoholics back in the day. Uh, we've moved on, it seems, from that problem uh, to ensure that people get treatment and help. Uh, and I, I'm not sure the model of uh, shutting down um, hospitals and then just leaving people on the street to go through a revolving door of um, jail and theft and jail again is the answer. Uh, It's uh, not fair to them and it's not fair to the community. So I think there are answers and there are some things that we know help already, like the ACT teams, but we need to resource them. And it's not some quick fix solution like we just change the charge approval standard or write down more bail conditions. That's not the problem. Hmm. Uh, There is a problem and there are things and real solutions to it, but they require, um, I think, much more than uh, a quick fix or a sound bite or something. Uh, We need to provide the uh, treatment and make sure people are getting it. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers, second half of our second hour every Thursday, legally speaking, here on the program. Michael, a pleasure as always. Thanks for your thoughts. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye now.